This morning's reading is from How to Love by Thich Nhat Hanh. If you pour a handful of salt into a cup of water, the water becomes undrinkable. But if you pour the salt into a river, people can continue to draw the water, to cook, to wash, and to drink. The river is immense, and it has the capacity to receive, embrace, and transform. When our hearts are small, our understanding and compassion are limited and we suffer. We can't accept or tolerate others and their shortcomings, and we demand that they change. But when our hearts expand, these same things don't make us suffer anymore. We have a lot of understanding and compassion, and we can embrace others. We accept others as they are, and then they have a chance to transform. Good morning, again. So this month, as you have probably caught on by now, we are talking about families. And so I decided for my sermon today that I want to tell you a story about my family. We've talked a lot about belonging and supporting families, sometimes struggling and conflict with our families. Uh, my story is about my family of origin, but as you listen, I invite you to think about whomever you call family. I think the lesson translates well across the many, many different uh, definitions of family that we've articulated this month. Thank you. <laughs> so as some of you already know, I was born and raised in the South, in Louisiana, and New Orleans to be specific. Um, and by and large, my entire family still lives down there. I have one brother in Virginia, and that's about it. Uh, it's important to note from the outset that I'm pretty different from my family. Um, in terms of the lifestyle I live and the choices that I've made, for example, I'm a Democrat, uh, the blue sheep of the family, as they call me. <laughs> I was raised to be a Republican like them, but I think I abandoned that platform during my first semester of college, actually probably the first week of college. Um, I'm also a vegetarian, a decision I made about 10 years ago, and uh, negotiating family holiday meals as an herbivore has been a challenge both for me and for them. My family tends to like their meat with a side of meat. Um, if you are like that, no judgments. We can talk later, but no judgments. Uh, but getting them to understand that turkey gravy is not actually vegetarian, even though it doesn't have actual meat in it. True story, several conversations. So another major difference for me is religion. I was raised Episcopalian. Um, my family is still entirely Episcopalian. But um, I fled the church completely in my 20s, and now I'm a Unitarian Universalist. No, no one in my family had actually heard of Unitarian Universalism until I brought it up. For a while, a while, my brother Mike thought I had joined a cult. <laughs> he now knows that's not the case, but as you can see, I generally have a history of just going in a different direction than the rest of my family. So because of that, I've often struggled with feeling seen by my family, and what I mean by seen is being accepted, validated for the choices that I've made with my own life. 
I mean, we all struggle with feeling seen, don't we? We want to be known and embraced for who we are, to be loved and supported, and not be judged or criticized for making the decisions that are right for us. Yes? Good. So over time, my family and I have largely made peace with the fact that I've always gone in a different direction, but it was lonely at times also to be different. When you have to explain yourself over and over again, it can be exhausting. And so for a while, I learned to compartmentalize myself with my family. There were parts of me that I just didn't share with them. I thought it would be too hard for them to understand or too trying for me to try to explain. It was just easier to keep parts of myself separate. Maybe you have found yourself in that pattern with a member or members of your family. So with all of that backstory, I want to tell you a story about how my entire family came up to New Haven last May to attend my graduation from Yale Divinity School. And I'll be honest, I was nervous. My parents come visit me every once in a while, but very, very rarely, if ever, has the entire family come up all together. Usually I go see them, I'm on their turf, things are easier, but this time they were all coming here into my world. I was worried that the more conservative Republicans in my family would say something harsh to my liberal classmates and professors. I was worried that they wouldn't appreciate how important this day was for me, how hard I had worked to receive this piece of paper. This was such a precious moment for me, and I didn't want it tainted. I mean, I love my family. I really do, despite everything I'm telling you. I love them, <laughs> but my anxiety was working overtime, imagining all the things that could go wrong. And I have one more thing to explain about my family before I tell this story. We have some weird traditions. Many of you, I can tell, have weird traditions too. We don't have time for a group share, but I'm sure there's some stories you could tell me. Maybe it's a certain food you eat at Thanksgiving, songs you sing, jokes you tell, maybe in the receiving line you can share. Um, we've, we've got our share too of very weird traditions, but none quite so strange as the woodchuck. So, Many years ago, my family moved to Florida, and we were the first members of our family to leave the state. We would drive back to Louisiana every year for Christmas. And during one of those trips, nobody knows when, we were pulling out of the driveway to start the long drive back to Florida, and somebody started chanting. I'm, and you probably heard this riddle. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Good, you know it. And we, so we all joined in and started chanting that, and at the end we all went, huh, really loud, and my dad honked the horn, and a tradition was born. <laughs> so we've done it everywhere, and when I say everywhere, I'm not kidding. We've done it at airports, we've done it in train stations, in hotel lobbies, uh, when my parents dropped me off at college, outside my freshman dorm, everywhere. Everywhere. So, it's graduation day at Yale, Stay with me, stay with me. Our service was held outside on the interior quad of the Divinity School. It's trees and grass, it's really pretty. And to get your diploma, you walk up one set of steps, so you're at the door of the chapel, and you can kind of look over everyone gathered. You shake their, the hand of the dean, you get your diploma, they take your picture, and you walk down the other side. So I'm in line, heading up the steps, and I'm feeling really good. The family visit so far has gone great. No one said anything really 
rude or racist. Um, there hasn't been much in the way of drama. Everyone's there, everyone's happy, everyone's getting along. And I start to loosen up and be grateful that my family's there, that all of those scenarios I came up with in my mind did not come true. And, and I'm proud of them. I'm really proud of them. And I'm so glad that they decided to come. So I reach the top of the steps, and I hear my name called, and I reach out with my left hand, and they give me the diploma, and it's in my hands, this piece of paper that I've worked for for three years, all the blood, sweat, and tears. It's finally there. Think of a moment in your life where you finally achieved something really big, and you just want to savor it, right? So I reach out my other hand to shake the hand of the Dean of the Divinity School, and he smiles at me and says, congratulations, Emily, we're so proud of you. And I'm like, I'm proud of me too. This is great. And I just kind of take a moment just to hold on to this memory because I want to remember it for the rest of my life. And then <laughs> I start to hear it drifting across the crowd. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Huh. And I freeze, and I'm standing there. I'm still holding the dean's hand, looking him in the eye. He doesn't know what just happened. He's got to shake 75,000 hands that day. He's just trying to get me to move along. And I'm just like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you can hear the unrest in the crowd. You can hear people saying, well, what was that? Who is, what are they saying? Who, who did that? Everyone's looking around. And I'm just like, oh, gosh. In my head, one phrase keeps going over and over. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. But yes, they did. So somehow I make it past the dean and I start heading down the stairs. I look out and I, to the corner where I know my family is sitting and they're all smiling and waving at me. And I look at them and my sister-in-law, Amy, took a picture of me coming down the stairs and my face was just like this. I think I was in shock. But somehow I made it down the stairs and back to my seat. And the service continued. Afterwards, they all hugged me and congratulated me. But I will confess that I was angry. I was so upset, I was mortified. This was my moment. They came all the way here for me and they said they took that moment away from me and made it about them. That's what I was telling myself in my head. And this stupid tradition, the tradition I have supported, but why did that tradition have to invade my moment, my special day? But I also didn't want to spend my last few moments of seminary arguing with my family. And to be honest, I'm not proud of this, but I knew that it would be pointless to try to explain to them why I was upset, because they thought it was hilarious. They still do. So I just let it go. And I moved on, and I decided just to focus on all the things I had to be grateful for that day. So the next day, my family left, and I called a friend of mine to vent. She had been at graduation too and had witnessed the woodchuck. And so I was fully expecting sympathy and pity for what I had endured. I mean, that's what friends are for, right? They tell you that your family's the problem, it's not you. They're the ones that have the issues and you have every right to be upset, right? But to my somewhat resentful surprise, my friend just laughed at the memory of it. She said, I could tell it was some kind of weird family tradition. And it was hysterical. She's like, your face as you came down the stairs, that was the best part. <laughs> and I was stunned. And I said, but it was so embarrassing. 
You would not have thought it was funny if this happened to you. If this has happened to you, you'd be really mad right now. She paused and said, well, if my family had shown up to my graduation the way yours did, maybe you're right. But they didn't. They were all too busy or too broke to come to my graduation. Your family may have embarrassed you, but at least they were there. My heart just dropped into my stomach. Not only did I just feel like the biggest jerk in the world, but in that moment, all my resentment and all of my anger fell away. She was right. They had showed up for me. Not the way I wanted them to, but they had showed up. And I realized that I had a choice, and I could choose to see that moment differently. I could choose to see them differently. They weren't doing that silly woodchuck chant to embarrass me. Well, maybe a little bit, but they did it because they loved me. They were claiming me as one of their own. In its own wacky way, that chant was them telling me that they saw me. That moment actually gave me something I'd been waiting for for a really, really long time. I was seen by my family, and I was seen with love. It didn't look like the kind of love I thought I wanted from them, but it was the kind of love that they were able to give. We can spend a lot of time and energy defining the ways we want to be loved by others, yes? We like to think that we can put conditions on love or describe it so specifically that it, that it will come packaged exactly the way we need it. That's what I was hoping for with my family, that they would show up and act the way I wanted them to, and only then, only then, would I know that they loved me. But in our reading this morning, Thich Nhat Hanh says, when our hearts are small, our understanding and compassion are limited and we suffer. By defining love so narrowly, I made my own heart small. I couldn't see them, I couldn't understand them, and I was the one to suffer for those choices. I realized I really am so blessed to have a family who loves me. So many of us are seeking love and understanding. So many of us who, can't, who have families who can't express their love, or worse, we have families who have been sources of pain, fear, and trauma. Here I have a group of perfectly imperfect people who traveled thousands of miles and spent lots of money to show up for me, to see me. And when I look at it that way, the only embarrassment I feel is for myself. The social researcher and writer Brene Brown, a personal favorite, says, until we can receive with an open heart, we can't truly give with an open heart. So I want to ask, how are you able to receive love from others? Have you ever thought about it? It's kind of a weird question to ask, but think about it. There are countless ways, big and small, that people express their love. Some are so small, we often miss them. When you get a compliment from a friend or a loved one, do you wave it away? Do you tell yourself, well, they're just saying that because of X, Y, and Z. They don't really mean it. But that's love. That compliment is love. When someone texts you to ask how you're doing, that's love. 
When someone hugs you, that's love too. How much more love could we see coming at us every day if we started paying more attention? My experience at my graduation taught me to start putting down all of the expectations I had about my family, to start accepting, the, accepting them for who they were and embracing their love for me on its own terms. And that's how I learned to start loving my family the way I can and the way they can. Maybe love looks not at all like I want it to or thought it would, but it's, it's the love that is and I'm blessed to have it. So how does love show up for you? Who are the family in your life who show up? Maybe not the way you asked or hoped for, but they're there nevertheless. Can you find ways to appreciate and embrace what they're able to give you? Because I think the Rolling Stones said it best, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you might find that you get what you need. Amen.